This is the Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, the Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bilger. Greetings out there in Michigan Radio Land. Another busy week in Michigan politics and government in the state capitol in Lansing. Um, let me just start by mentioning that there was a joint House and Senate majority Republican caucus this week for about 20 minutes. And honestly, I'm not sure there has ever been, certainly in recent Michigan history, if ever in the past, a joint caucus of the two majority parties in the House and Senate, both of which are Republicans, when the Republicans controlled each chamber. Uh, there was apparently a caucus back in 2007-2008 uh, between the then-Republican-controlled state Senate under then-Majority Leader Mike Bishop and the state House Republicans who were then in the minority with their leader being uh, Craig DeRoche, who had been speaker but was uh, unhorsed, so to speak, in the 2006 election when the Republicans lost a majority. So this was really kind of unusual, uh, in fact, unique maybe. And the real question is why. I think uh, maybe – the two leaders, uh, Lee Chatfield, the Speaker of the House, and Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky wanted to demonstrate to their fellow and sister members that they are on the same page, they're getting along very well, because their predecessors, Arlen Mikoff, the Senate Majority Leader in the last session, and... Uh, Tom Leonard, who was the uh, Speaker of the House, did not get along very well, and they certainly didn't have joint caucuses. So uh, this was an interesting meeting, and maybe they wanted to decide how do we position our caucuses vis-a-vis Governor Gretchen Whitmer, who is a Democrat and who has proposed a 45-cent per gallon gas tax, which obviously is not being embraced warmly by either majority Republicans or, for that matter, uh, minority Democrats in the House and Senate. No bill, by the way, has been introduced to accomplish what Gretchen Whitmer is asking for, 45 cents, a gallon increase in the gas tax. Uh, So pressure is mounting a little bit on the business uh, Republican conservative side on the members because the Michigan Municipal League and the Detroit Chamber of Commerce, both considered obviously pro-business groups who you would think would not like higher taxes, have basically endorsed uh, pretty much what Gretchen Whitmer has proposed. So when you've got your chief lobbying core supporters saying, uh, you know, maybe a 45 cent per gallon hike in the gas tax isn't a bad thing. It puts a lot of extra pressure on individual members who are Republicans in the House and Senate to say, no, uh, we're not going there. So let's see what develops down the line. Several other things this week. John Engler, is he a fugitive from justice? Well, that's what 
the Attorney General, Dana Nessel, claims uh, it looks like because she claims he's ducking uh, being interviewed by her office, who is investigating the Larry Nassar sex predation embrolio that has engulfed Michigan State over the last three years and its aftermath. And she wants to find out what John Engler, when he was the interim president of MSU, has to tell her. And he has indicated he'd be willing to be interviewed in Washington, D.C. later this month. But Dana Nessel, the Democratic attorney general, says that's not good enough. We're a little worried that you might have uh, fewer chances to be uh, indicted or brought into court or questioned or whatever uh, if you lie, in our opinion, in what you tell us, because the standards for truth in Washington, D.C. are not as rigid and high as they are in Michigan. So she wants to interview him in Michigan, and John Engler's attorney and Dana Nessel have been going back and forth. There's an assistant attorney general involved, and John Engler's lawyer says she has got to go. Uh, she's biased, and I want her fired, and Dana Nessel says I'm not going to fire her. So uh, there's a real problem there. Uh, the House and Senate actually uh, were in session this week, and the House did something pretty important. Uh, it passed for the third straight session, uh, a reform of Michigan's Freedom of Information Act. And the package of bills passed by the House, unanimously, by the way, would subject the governor's office and the legislature to open records requests. Now, government reform advocates have been arguing for years that House members should, and so should senators, uh, ensure that taxpayers deserve to see what their government is doing. So the House is urging the Senate to act on the package. What's happened in the last two sessions is that the Senate has not passed what the House approved. And so the legislation has died. So let's see what happens this time. Also, uh, a House committee, the House Regulatory Reform Committee, they have reported out uh, legislation that would legalize the way gaming is conducted and regulated statewide, uh, bipartisan legislation spearheaded by the committee chairman, State Representative Brant Iden, a Republican from the Kalamazoo area. Brant Iden uh, says that the sweeping plan, and I'm quoting here, establishes and updates Michigan gaming regulations and reflects modern technology. Almost identical legislation, this is not a quote anymore, this is me, almost identical legislation passed both chambers in the last legislature late last year, but in somewhat of a surprise, uh, Governor Rick Snyder vetoed it. So the House, at least, has taken another whack at it. And uh, they've got three bills. One is House Bill 4311, which would legalize and regulate Internet gaming across the state. 
Uh, also, uh, there is another bill, which uh, that's HB 4307, which makes a variety of much-needed updates to the Michigan Gaming Control and Revenue Act, uh, which hasn't been updated in gaming uh, control laws in over two decades, says Brant Iden. Finally, there is House Bill 4308 that would explicitly authorize fantasy sports in Michigan by creating the Fantasy Sports Games Consumer Protection Act. Now, these measures, these three measures, along with the rest of the plan that includes updates to the horse racing industry and charitable gaming operations, now move to a second House committee, the Ways and Means Committee, for further consideration. If Ways and Means approves the package, it will go to the floor of the House. And if it passes the House, it will go to the Senate, and we'll see what develops there. One problem is uh, that the administration of Governor Gretchen Whitmer is not on board with this package of bills as they are written right now. Apparently, uh, the governor's administration is worried that any success in online gambling would come at the expense of a state lottery, which is the bedrock of revenue for the state school aid fund. So it looks like there's going to be a whole lot of negotiating going on on this issue in the coming week. I'll be back in a second with our first of three guests today. The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. As promised, we have returned and we have got on the line with us uh, State Representative Aaron Miller from the 59th District. And I believe, Representative Miller, your district includes parts of both Cass and St. Joseph County down on the Indiana border. You've got the city of Dowagiac in 11 townships. Is that correct? Uh, 11 townships in Cass County. Yep. And then all of St. Joseph County. You got and it. All of St. Joseph County. Okay. Yep. And you are the chairman of the uh, subcommittee on school aid and the Department of Education as part of the House Appropriations Committee. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. Well, you know, I'm just kind of curious. Third grade reading proficiency. Uh, This this has been an issue that's been around for years, and actually legislation was passed and signed into law by former Governor Rick Snyder, I believe, in the last session. But now uh, the new governor, Gretchen Whitmer, is raising some doubts about whether the way the law is written uh, couldn't be changed or improved, in her opinion. Can you give us the background on all this? What's going on and what are the chances that something more might be done on this issue? And does funding come into it? She's proposed, I think, some kind of extra funding to help uh, students get up to speed on reading. Sure. Yeah, well, the background is, uh, I mean, start with the building blocks of our literacy being at very poor levels in Michigan. And uh, the third grade reading law came out of Representative Amanda Price's efforts to try and attack that problem. And um, 
try and get third graders, uh, but specifically up through third graders, get reading at uh, at their proficiency level for third grade, second grade, whatever grade they're in. And uh, a retention piece was part of that. Uh, and that was, that was, I think, the most controversial piece in the legislation with a lot of people I talked to. Well, now, when you say retention, let me interrupt. Mm-hmm. You mean, in other words, holding the student back to repeat yes. third grade if they cannot pass a proficiency test? Yeah, you got it. And then basically with uh, retention or being held back um, in the law that ended up getting signed, um, there are many, many, many loopholes and and possible catches that could happen before retention, and retention is sort of a final um, last effort to say, okay, if we have if we have a kid that's well below grade level, um, we're going to retain even you know even after we've done all these things, we're going to retain and and do third grade again um, because he or she is not reading at proficiency level. So. What is Gretchen Whitmer saying now is wrong with this law? I think, I don't want to speak for the the governor, but I think her issue would be with retention. And um, I think she would probably say that, uh, given what her budget was, that we don't have enough literacy coaches, enough people on the ground, boots on the ground in schools, dealing with the literacy problem, to effectively, um, to effectively pursue what the law is seeking, and that is that is kids reading more at at their level. I think that staffing is a big part of it, and that's why that uh, was taken care of in her budget um, to a very to a very high level. And that's a I think that's a good thing. The more literacy coaches and teachers we can get in buildings uh, to attack the reading problem, the better. So she's not necessarily denying that there is a problem with third-grade literacy in Michigan. By the way, where does Michigan rank nationally? Are we down, like, in the bottom 10 or 15 states? Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's not good. We're we're down towards the bottom, if I remember right. And, it, of course, it depends on what metric you're looking at. But um, literacy is definitely a problem. And, no, I don't, I don't think the governor would deny there being a problem at all, I think that's why she wants to to put more reading coaches, more more teachers in the budget. And obviously, her budget had a, a noted uh, large increase in the budget for education across the board, but also for literacy coaches. And I think that's a great thing. So you think there's a good chance that the uh, House Appropriations Subcommittee and the full committee and, and the House itself will approve extra funding and maybe the Senate as well? Yeah, it depends on the level, um, but I think increased funding is almost a given at this point. Even if there's not new revenue as it concerns roads, um, there is still an increase in the sales tax revenue for this year to be able to fund a, a sizable increase in education. But obviously what what comes down in the end is going to be dependent on how much higher ed money comes out of the school aid fund, and that will be dependent on what new revenue, if any new revenue, there is concerning roads. The, big, the budget this year is a big domino effect, um, and usually roads and then higher education and uh, K-12 education don't really affect each other, but this year they do, just given some of Governor Whitmer's campaign promises and, uh, 
and everybody agrees that something needs to be done about roads, even though we did something three and a half years ago. When the legislature considered this third grade reading proficiency issue over time, um, I'm just curious, was there testimony given that students in third grade who are held back or if they were held back uh, would have some stigma attached to them? Uh, Maybe it would be an item of, uh, you know, concern uh, in that they could be ridiculed or made fun of by their fellow students. Uh, Was that part of it? And do do you think Governor Whitmer may have that in mind, too? Yeah, I think that's definitely a factor. I, I wasn't there for the hearings then. I didn't sit on the education committee, but I definitely remember there being concerns about what we're doing to a kid when we hold them back. And I, I grant that there's some of that, and I, I bet that the governor probably has some of those concerns. Um, I've, I've seen it where kids have been held back, though, and it does, it does wonders for them. So I think it depends on the individual case. I think it's I think it's troublesome to paint everybody with a broad brush and say, well, this is automatically bad. I've seen retention work. And, uh, you know, I, I bring up Benton Harbor schools, uh, notably in the news bill. They are infamous right now for having, I think, 100, 130 or so seniors. And they did an audit, and only 30 or 35 are slated to graduate. We're talking high school seniors. So if we're if we keep passing the bill and we put we put kids on to the next grade but we're not we're not teaching them least of all reading, uh, I don't think we're doing them any favors then either if we're passing them on and giving them a high school diploma or passing them on their senior year and not giving that diploma, we're not doing any favors by by letting them move on and and get through the system when they're not proficient either. Yeah, listen, we could go on talking about this forever. (laughs) I wanted to ask you more, but boy, the time flies and we are out of time. But we'll get you back, hopefully, Representative Aaron Miller from the 59th District. A great explanation of what's going on on third grade reading proficiency. Representative Miller, thank you very much. Thank you so much for your time, Bill. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back, and we've got another special guest. He is State Representative Steve Marino, a Republican from the 24th House District. I believe it's in northeastern Macomb County. He's got parts of Clinton, Harrison, and Macomb Townships. Is that correct, Representative Marino? It is, Mr. Ballinger. Thank you. And he is also the chairman of the Commerce and Tourism Committee in the State House, correct? That is correct as well, sir. All right. Well, what I want to start out asking you about is um, legislation. This seems to come up every year <laughs> um, on, on uh, daylight savings time. 
And whether it's a good thing, a bad thing, if it is, uh, are we springing forward uh, too early, too late? Are we falling back too early, too late? Are we in the right time zone? So I'm just going to ask you, uh, Representative Marino, what time is it anyway? And is it going to change? What do you think? <laughs> Honestly, uh, you know, obviously you've been around uh, one or two uh, sessions longer than I have, but as you mentioned, this comes up every single two years. Uh, even before a bill's introduced, it seems like the topic's uh, popping up. I know uh, from my experience, constituents are emailing about it, uh, usually the Saturday, uh, that Saturday night or Sunday morning, however you want to look at it, uh, as they're changing their clocks. Uh, but as this has come up every two years, uh, I've always asked the question, why are we even having the debate? What are what are those sticking points? So, uh, you know, again, to answer your question, uh, I, I guess it would really depend, and, and that's what I'm hoping to really drill down and, and get to in committee. Is uh, is there an economic savings? Is there an economic loss? Uh, what is the impact uh, on the economy and, and again, on, on our workers? Well, Representative Michelle Hoytinga, I believe, in the House, introduced a bill, and it came before your committee, and this was to just abolish daylight savings time altogether. We just don't have it anymore. And then you apparently had a hearing on it. As I understand it, strangely enough, uh, the subject switched somewhat to whether we're even in the right time zone. (laughs) I mean, maybe we shouldn't be in the eastern time zone. Maybe we should be in the central time zone. Uh, what about that? No, I mean, in, in committee, uh, when Representative Hoyting's uh, bill was up, the only thing that was clear is there was no clear consensus. I mean, I think you're, you're, you were absolutely right in your characterization of uh, the ideas. Uh, there were quite a few ideas, and that, that was kind of how it had worked throughout the week. Uh, initially, a lot of people's reactions were, oh, you know, it's this bill again, but uh, his members would ask about it, and whether they were on the committee or not, it, uh, it would be, what's happened with that daylight savings time bill? I don't know if I can support it, but <laughs> w- but what if we did this, or what if we did that? So it seems like everyone has, everyone seems to have an opinion on it. Uh, and uh, again, I think when when there's that type of energy and uh, those types of ideas floating around, that's when uh, a debate and deliberation is appropriate. And again, one of the questions, you know, that I pose to committee members is just that. Are we on the right time? Are we on the wrong time? Uh, which one should it be? And, and again, obviously, uh, you know, arming it with arguments. But uh, if you're on the west side of the state, you know, you might be uh, more inclined to side with uh, Chicago subconsciously. Uh, you're on the east side of the state, uh, like I am. Uh, I like being on the same time zone as New York City. So yeah, right. Well, let certainly me, not partisan. Yeah, let me mention, you, you bring up what I was going to ask you, and that is, you know, Michigan is a little strange in that we're on the very western edge of the eastern time zone as a state. And, in fact, uh, there are several counties in the western UP that are in the central time zone, right? Yeah, and it's... And, and this was fascinating, again, the more and more I'd researched this, because I intended on having a hearing, you know, again, given the bill sponsor the opportunity to convince the committee, but I'd, be, I'd become more and more fascinated with each day as this topic's gone on. We've got four counties in the Upper Peninsula uh, that um, are uh, 
basically on Central Time, and uh, that was a, a fascinating story in and of itself. Uh, but Michigan, ironically, uh, we had voted to go off of daylight savings time, and then there was a state uh, referendum on it. And, uh, there was a 44-vote margin before they had to go recount it. Uh, so the people had spoken and put us back on to daylight savings time, and then uh, I believe there was a paper mill closing that would have been impacted in the UP, and that's why those four counties were on central. So wow, it's, uh, it's a, it's a, it, there's a lot of history to it. And again, uh, a statewide election, I know I certainly don't have to tell you, uh, a statewide election to come down to 44 votes, that's, that's quite a story. That is unbelievable. And in fact, uh, you look at, you mentioned Chicago. I think the uh, two representatives uh, down there in Berrien County in the southwestern corner of the state, uh, Paquette and uh, Pauline Wenzel, how do they feel about this compared to you? You're over on the east side. No, obviously, uh, you know, it depends on the bill version. But I I think if they were to lose some of their uh, – some of their evening hours, they would not be happy. Uh, you know, without speaking on behalf of the representatives, I, I know that, uh, um, you know, Representative Wenzel had uh, certainly expressed some concerns uh, about the legislation and some feedback that she was getting in her district. And um, and honestly, I view that as, as a good thing because I'm really trying to look for an answer if there, you know, if there is one. Maybe there isn't. But, uh, well, you know, uh, you think it's complicated here in Michigan. You may have heard that a few years ago, Indiana, which up until that time had been split literally right down the middle from north to south between the central and the eastern time zones, uh, the governor at that time, Mitch Daniels, a Republican, by the way, said, you know what, it ought to be all one or all the other, and frankly, I think we ought to be on New York time. I'm kind of like Steve Marino up there in Michigan. You know, I, I think, I think uh, we ought to be entirely in the Eastern time zone, and he won. It was very controversial, but he got it changed, so I think they're entirely in the Eastern time zone. Well, let me just ask you, do you I mean, the bottom line is, do you think anything is going to come out of your committee? Is anything going to happen, or is this just talk? Uh Honestly, after the hearing, uh, or after, you know, we had testimony and talking with some folks and, and, and folks on both sides of the aisle, uh, there's actually some, some conversations around, uh, you know, possibly tying the legislation to uh, maybe an interstate compact or uh, contingent upon, uh, you know, maybe uh, federal action. So, uh, again, when the conversations and committees started steering in that direction and some suggestions were offered, uh kind of a, a unique proposal because, uh, again, obviously it would be enabling legislation if, if the feds were to act or if other states, uh, again, were interested in this. So that way we don't have uh, any type of shock to the economy and uh, residents on one side of the state uh, don't, don't fare any worse than the than the others uh, or, or their representatives. <laughs> um, but I, I truly do think, you know, there's there's a very strong chance that something could come out of the committee. And, uh, you know, if so, I think it would be a, a widely supported uh, product that wouldn't be as uh, um, maybe drastic as, uh, you know, shifting folks uh, one hour and keeping them there versus the others. So. Right. Listen, uh, we're just about out of time. What, what are some of the other issues really quickly? You only got about a minute left. No, again, I, I know we could talk about... In your, in your committee, in your committee. 
you know, commerce and tourism, I mean, my, my primary focus in talking with members on the committee, our focus is to truly go through and inventory, uh, you know, all of our assets that Michigan has uh, from an economic development standpoint. And uh, recessions aren't if, they're when. And, um, you know, recession-proofing our economy as much as we can. Well, listen, this is this is fascinating. In other words, you're kind of uh, waiting to see, in a sense, whether you have another hearing on the time issue, and you might. And if you do, uh, you'll just kind of play it by ear, see what happens. Listen, yes, I, I want to thank you very much, uh, State Representative Steve Marino. Uh, he is a Republican from the 24th House District in Macomb County, chairman of the uh Commerce and Tourism Committee in the House, and he's got a hot potato. It sounds like he's uh, doing a good job being objective about it. We'll watch and see what happens. Thank you, Representative Marino. Thank you. This is MTN. And you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We have returned for our final segment. We've got a special guest here. He is State Representative Matt Hall of the 63rd House District. He's a freshman Republican who represents in that 63rd District, I believe, uh, the cities of uh, Marshall and Galesburg. This is part of Kalamazoo and Calhoun County's 21 townships, I think you have. Is that correct, Representative Hall? That is. It's, uh, it's a very large district. It's a rural district, and, uh, and it's a very uh, conservative district, which, which is a good fit for me because uh, I'm, I'm a conservative Republican. Well, okay. Well, let me ask you about a resolution that you have sponsored, which voices uh, the opposition of the House, if it's approved, uh, to the so-called Green New Deal that's been talked about, uh, particularly, obviously, in Washington and at the federal level, particularly by a lot of Democratic candidates for president and members of Congress who are Democrats. And I'm just curious, could you give us the background on this and why you introduced this resolution and what is happening to it? Sure. So, I introduced this resolution opposing the Green New Deal because there are two major things uh, that the House of Representatives does on policy issues. The first is we pass laws on behalf of our constituents and the people of Michigan. The second is uh, we, as a collective body, express the voice of our constituents, the people of Michigan. And so I believed it was completely appropriate to introduce a resolution voicing uh, the you know, the will of the people of Michigan, stating uh, that we oppose this Green New Deal. And the reason is the Green New Deal would fundamentally change our country. It would take us away from capitalism and move us towards socialism. And that's because it would eliminate the internal combustion engine. It would uh, give a living wage to people who are unwilling to work. It would give free um, health care and college to, to all. Uh, and it would also, um, you know, get rid of fossil fuels uh, in the next 10 years, which is unrealistic. And so uh, this would cost $93 trillion. Our national deficit is only $22 trillion, Bill. Uh, and this, uh, this is 
going to lead to crippling debt, crippling taxes, and it's going to put a lot of our workers and farmers out of business. And so that's why I propose this. And this resolution came before a House committee, right? It did, yeah. It went to the House Energy Committee, and it passed um, with all of the Republicans voting to oppose the Green New Deal and all of the Democrats voting to support the Green New Deal. So now it's out on the House floor, but it hasn't had a vote yet by the full membership of the House. That's correct. Um, you know, I was, uh, I was disappointed that the Democrats on the House committee voted against my resolution. I mean, basically, they're, you know, they're saying they support the Green New Deal. And I just can't believe that some of these state reps, like Jim Hodma and Padma Koopa and Manugian, uh, would actually embrace losing, you know, hundreds of thousands of jobs because of, you know, high energy costs. Uh, when you go to complete renewal energy, um, you know, expansive social programs that would put huge debt, huge taxes on our businesses and would also eliminate tons of jobs. I mean, we're the, we're the manufacturing, you know, of automobile states. And uh, if we eliminated the internal combustion engine, you know, what would that do to Ford and GM and Teneco in my district that makes exhaust systems for the big three? This was an unbelievable vote by the Democrats, and I was really disappointed. I thought this would unite us behind our Michigan families and workers, but instead uh, the Democrats voted no and supported the Green New Deal. Well, I can imagine uh, there are a lot of Democrats on the floor of the House who were not a member of the uh, Energy Committee who are hoping this won't come to a vote. (laughs) I don't think they want to be online as having to uh, support or oppose uh, the Green New Deal, do you? Yeah, and that's disappointing. Again, you know, one of the Democrats said to me, why are you dividing this body? And my response was, I didn't realize socialism opposing that was divisive. And unfortunately, that's how far we've gone uh, as a country, where now the Democrat Party, uh, these Democrats, have to fear their base if they oppose socialism. And that's that's radical. That's unbelievable. And I'm hopeful there will be some Democrats who join uh, the Republicans in opposing this, because we cannot have $93 trillion of new spending, uh, expansive programs uh, that will put so many people out of work uh, and, and put such high taxes on us. That is exactly how we destroy our economy here in Michigan. Okay, let me uh, switch subject a little bit. You are chairman of the House Oversight Committee, I believe, and that's quite an honor. You're a freshman, and yet you've been given this uh, important committee chairmanship. Uh, Let me ask you, what uh, is going on in that committee right now? I mean, what do you have before you, or what plans do you have uh, for the House Oversight Committee uh, going forward? You're right. I am chair of the House Oversight Committee. This committee is responsible for making sure government works for the people of Michigan, that it's efficient, effective, uh, and spends tax dollars wisely. And uh, one one area of jurisdiction that we have are Auditor General reports. And the Auditor General is an independent officer uh, who who um, who investigates government agencies. La- uh, last year, there were 41. Uh, serious breaches that the Auditor General's office found in Michigan. Seventeen of those were in Child Protective Services. So that's almost half. 
And so uh, I decided to bring uh, Child Protective Services before the Oversight Committee and try to get an understanding of why they are struggling to keep children safe. And so uh, we've had a few weeks of testimony. I've learned a few things. Uh, one is the, they are not always starting investigations in a timely manner. That's, that's a problem because, uh, you know, starting the investigation quickly means uh, we keep the child safe. Um, you know, a lot of these CPS workers do not feel safe on the job, so we have to do more for them there. And then lastly, um, you know, I would, not all uh, people that commit neglect or abuse are put on the central registry. And so we need to make sure everyone is on the central registry so that uh, we can keep our children safe. So I'm working to learn about all of these practices of Child Protective Services so I can work with the Oversight Committee to make new laws that help them keep our children safe. Are there other members of the Oversight Committee, particularly Democrats in the minority, who you feel you've got some common ground with? Uh, You're on the same page on certain issues, maybe the one you just described. What do you think? Yes, uh, I found uh, Representative David Legrand from Grand Rapids to be very helpful. Um, he has a background as a prosecutor, and uh, and so he's worked, uh, you know, firsthand on issues of uh, child abuse and neglect. And so uh, I found him to be a very valuable partner in working together, uh, Republicans and Democrats, to help stop the abuse of children in Michigan and make sure that Child Protective Services uh, fixes all of these problems uh, and keeps it children safe. So, yes, uh, this has been a great, uh, great lesson for me. And that there are, you know, Democrats that are willing to work with uh, with the Republicans on issues that are, you know, that we all should be working together on. But um, unfortunately, we just aren't seeing that yet on the Green New Deal. Yeah, let me ask you one last question. We're just about out of time, less than a minute. Um I believe that you had a joint House and Senate Republican caucus this week, which honestly, I'm not sure it's ever happened before in Michigan history, believe it or not, certainly in recent history. Uh, There was one back in 2007, 2008, when the Republicans were in the minority in the House, but uh, controlled the Senate. But you are in the majority in both chambers. You had this joint caucus about 20 minutes long. How was that? How did it go? What did you talk about? I enjoyed it, and I thought it was a great idea. And the biggest takeaway from this is that the House Republicans and the House uh, and the Senate Republicans are united and on the same page and a team. And you know, you know, Bill, that hasn't been the case all the time over the last decade. Uh, but the message is, we're working together. We're a team, and we're going to put uh, our voters, our constituents, above our own personal agenda to make sure we get good solid government for the people of Michigan at a reasonable cost and a balanced budget. Yeah, I was just going to say the uh, leaders of the House and Senate in the last session didn't necessarily see eye to eye. They didn't get along too well. Senator Arlen Meekoff and Speaker of the House Tom Leonard didn't get along, but it appears that Mike Jerky and Lee Chatfield, uh, the majority Senate leader and the speaker respectively they like each other and they're working together right yes okay listen matt hall state representative from the 63rd district in uh kalamazoo and calhoun counties thank you so much for being our guest you did a great job thank you thank you